Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm here, as always, with my amazing co-host, Ellen McGirt. Ellen, how are you today? Oh, Alan, I live for these intros. Thank you so very much. I'm really excited about our guest today. Stephen Bailey is the CEO and co-founder of Exec Online, an enterprise platform that partners with top business schools to deliver online leadership development programs to nearly half the Fortune 500 companies. And that's barely even scratching the surface of what he does. The former startup and now much, much bigger company is sitting on a treasure trove of benchmarking data about what works in diversity and gender equity and inclusion. Today, he's bringing us some brand new insights into what's top of mind for leaders as the pandemic limps on and companies struggle and employees try to figure out what's next for them. And I'm going to tell you, Alan, I know I've told you this before. Stephen has been a great friend to Race Ahead, my newsletter on race and inclusive leadership. But what really got me excited when I first met him is that he brings a real theory of change to the idea of inclusion and along with that, some real tactics and strategies that can make a difference. So for all you inclusion and leadership nerds and fans out there, this conversation's for you. Great, great. I look forward to digging into that. I'm excited about it because we know we are moving into a world where lifelong learning is part of everyone's uh, path. You know, uh, education is not something you do for four years or six years and then move on to a career. It's something that you have to do for your entire life, even when you're as old as I am, Ellen. (laughs) I am right behind you, right behind you. (laughs) Stephen, welcome to Leadership Next. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be with both of you. Um, it's uh, I know we're all uh, focused on these topics and, and, and they've never been more important. So excited to have the conversation. Why don't we talk about um, a little bit about what you do, how Exec Online works, and what moment does the company find itself in right now? Yeah, it's a really exciting moment for Exec Online. So we are a corporate training company. Um, what we pioneered was the idea that you could bring the leadership development portion of corporate training online in a really high quality way uh, and democratize it to a much broader range of leaders than it's ever been available to before. And we do that by partnering with uh, some of the best business schools in the world. Uh, so schools like Berkeley and Stanford and University of Chicago and Columbia to take what were their in-person leadership development programs, which typically required a tap on the shoulder for a handful of folks. Um, And we now allow companies to make those leadership development programs available to all of their leadership as a way to drive both much more robust leadership pipelines, uh, as well as as a way to drive more equitable outcomes in terms of of leadership. And, And that really filters into our mission, which is to connect all leaders to their future potential. Hey, Stephen, talk a little bit about how you got to this position. Exec Online is a fairly new uh, new company. What was what was your personal path to uh, executive education? Yeah, so it's interesting. I'm a, I'm a recovered lawyer. Um, if my wife and I are having a disagreement, she might say I'm still recovering. Um, but, uh, you know, really uh, figured out that the law wasn't for me. Uh, it wasn't creative enough, uh, super important, super valuable in my kind of professional um, history. But I left after a couple of years, joined a startup company in Washington, D.C., our frontier strategy group. Uh, and that's where I was sort of introduced to this world of B2B um, enterprise companies. This business was focused on 
Um, I think two areas that ended up being really important. Uh, one, it was focused on emerging markets, uh, international markets. So I got a chance to see what was happening with global companies from a leadership perspective. Uh, and secondly, it was focused on information services, data, benchmarking to really help organizations make strong decisions about their, their, their presence in those markets. And so the kernel of those two things ended up leading me to um, exec online. I realized as I learned more about global leadership and organizations, um, it was not diverse at all. Uh, so whether I was hosting um, an event in Singapore or London or Miami uh, with a lot of expat leaders, I was often uh, the only a person who looked like me in the room, uh, and I was surrounded by men and very few women. Uh, and so the idea was, um, what if you could really start to attack that problem in a different and kind way? Uh, and that's what led to Exec Online. And so the idea was, we wanted to create a true approach to increasing leadership equity that didn't just require companies to have a zero-sum game of going out and trying to poach diverse talent from one organization to the next, but instead we wanted to create the capability to build a whole new generation of talent in a much more inclusive way uh, than never been done before. Has leadership development in terms of the content and the focus changed over the years? Because I've covered this beat for a long time and I have not heard the word inclusion or diversity um, in earlier iterations of leadership thinking. Yeah, so I think um, you've really seen a change over the last couple of years, particularly since COVID. And there's a lot of focus on COVID, but I actually think it's three overlapping factors. So one is um, there's a much greater appreciation for the ability to deliver high quality leadership development online than there's ever been before. When I started the company uh, with my co-founders back in 2012, um, the idea that you could develop a leader online was a new concept. And that's the, that's the thinking we were changing. And obviously COVID forced a change in thinking at, at scale more rapidly than we could have ever expected. The second, uh, the murder of George Floyd, the murder of Breonna Taylor, um, a new, um, recognition of the importance of inclusion, diversity issues, and how they fit into corporate mission. And then the third piece is really a very tight labor market. Uh, and the fact that organizations recognize that they are in competition for talent in a different kind of way. And when you look at our data uh, and you ask leaders, what is the thing they want the most right after more resources, which is almost always going to be number one, uh, is development because they recognize that um, they are moving into a world where their leadership capabilities are being stretched and they need that support from organizations. So the combination of those two of those three things is creating tremendous focus on these issues at the C-suite level. For example, I was just in Chicago, one of our investors hosted a CEO summit, and um, there were two items that were top of the list for, for all the CEOs in the room. Uh, one was cybersecurity, and the second was leadership development. And I can tell you, even a couple of years ago, leadership development would not have made the cut at the CEO level with, with 30 CEOs sitting around a table. And Stephen, you know, the other thing we're finding is, and, and, and it has been a focus of this podcast for the last two years, is that the nature of leadership, of executive, corporate executive leadership, is dramatically different today than it was a decade or two decades ago. I mean, we put, uh, Fortune put Jack Welch on the cover uh, in the late 1990s and called him manager of the century. Uh, he may have been the manager of the last century. He's not the manager of this century. Things are changing dramatically. Can you talk about the changes as you see them? One, uh, the, at the very highest levels, um, or organizations' relationship to society is changing. 
Um, and so the extent to which organizations of the Jack Welch era, um, and Jack Welch is one example of pretty much you know, any CEO's approach was maximizing shareholder returns. That, that was really your only goal. And now there's a recognition that um, you need to understand how your organization fits into a broader mission of doing good for society. Um, and I also, when I talk to CEOs about this, and you know, some CEOs will say, I don't understand. You know, I, I talk about donations we make. I talk about uh, you know, sort of some of these ancillary things. And what is, is really, I think, what, what we've gotten to is a place where you need to have a reason why your business model is affirmatively good for society. What you provide to society has some benefit, not it's neutral and it's negative, but we paper over that with some donations to organizations to make us all feel better, right? So that's the big change. The kind of CEOs that are really going to be successful moving forward are ones that are able to articulate that mission in a compelling way. Um, and then back it up with compelling action, because also the level of transparency now is such that making big pronouncements that you don't follow through on um, also is, is not a path to success. And I think what you've seen is a change, not just from stakeholders, um, uh, not just from um, investors or, or sort of a limited number of stakeholders in terms of demanding this. Employees are demanding it. Customers are demanding it. Investors are demanding it. And so it's a very broad set of constituencies that is really driving that agenda. Yeah, Stephen, that is really well put. The one thing I would add to that uh, that's that's different from 20 or 30 years ago is the pace of change is so fast. If the manager of the last century was the person who sat in the C-suite and pulled together all the information and made a strategy and then told everybody what to do, the manager today can't possibly do that because it, they'll be too slow. They'll be behind. They'll miss the curve. That's absolutely right. And I think that's what's driving a lot of leadership development investment. Um, and I think that takes two forms, Alan. One is decision making because it needs to be faster. It's getting pushed down into the middle of the organization. And so it doesn't have time to go down and flow back up. And so you need leaders that have different kind capabilities. Um, for example, when we think about future ready leaders, we've got a future ready leader framework that we focus on. And um, one of the key areas is um, being able to lead business model transformation. And that's even at the middle management level. And that's something you didn't uh, sort of see uh, before in the past. Um, and then I think the second piece is um, you need much broader uh, succession pipelines than you've ever had in the past because you actually don't know the capabilities that are going to be needed two, three, five years out. And so if you've got a narrow set of leaders with a narrow set of capabilities, you've just got much less flexibility to plug the right people into the right modes at the right time. I'm here with Joe Yukazaglu, who is CEO of Deloitte U.S., and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Joe, thanks for being with us, and thanks for your support of our second season. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. Joe, we talked about technology adoption accelerating in 2020, but at the same time, it also seemed last year like there was an increased focus on people, on human capital. Can we hope for a future where we have both more technology and more humanity all at the same time? Well, Alan, I'm particularly energized leading a, a large professional services firm where people are at the core. This is all about pairing great people with innovative technologies. It's not about replacing one with the other. It's allowing people to free up more of their time to do what humans do best. 
the technology is an enabler for great people to use their creativity, their complex judgment and decision-making skills. But at the same time, I think we have to recognize that getting this right definitely requires a new kind of corporate leadership. I would say out with the autocratic, all-knowing CEO sitting in the corner office and in with those who bring vulnerability, empathy, humility. Those are such critical attributes to unlocking the creative talents of the workforce in such a dynamic economy. Yeah, it is very different when you're trying to get a group of creative people to solve a problem than when you're simply giving orders and telling them what to do. It requires a brand of leadership that places a premium on instilling values, instilling principles, and empowering people to be able to make those judgments on the front line instead of waiting for some checklist or waiting for some prescriptive order from corporate that spells out exactly how each of those decisions need to be made. Joe, thank you. I want to dig into some of your most recent um, data, which I've been pouring over here. And it seems to me that leaders are coming out or limping out of this pandemic um, experience a little less confident in their own capabilities than they did going in. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, I'm hearing that as an opportunity for growth, but I probably it probably doesn't feel that way to them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you're in the thick of it, uh, it certainly can, can feel um, really challenging. But it's been a really interesting trend. Uh, so one of the things that we do, um, and we um, develop tens of thousands of leaders a year, um, and as we're developing them, we're asking them questions about the challenges they're facing and the needs that they have, and also their confidence in their peers uh, from a leadership perspective. And what we found uh, was that obviously early in COVID, um, those numbers um, certainly reflected some of the initial challenges of virtual work. But then we really saw an unexpected um, increase in uh, confidence around leadership capabilities in line with the need to manage virtual work. And every quarter we were seeing it improving. And then as organizations have started to move toward hybrid work, which in many ways really represents the future of work, this is where, that, what organizations really need to get right, those numbers are down ticking again and are actually lower than they were um, even uh, pretty early in the pandemic. And so that's really, uh, I think, a key trend that CEOs uh, need to keep their eye on. Yeah, as people wrestle with the hybrid and what does it mean, uh, we had our uh, Most Powerful Women Summit recently and I sat at dinner at a table. Uh, the dinner table conversations are off the record, so I can't out these people. But one was the one was the CEO of a big investment bank on the East Coast and one was the CFO of a big technology company on the West Coast had a spirited hour-long argument about whether or not people need to come back to the office. Uh, it was fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am a big believer that if you're a CEO and you believe that things are going to ever go back to quote-unquote normal, where everybody just comes into the office five days a week without a clear reason for being there, um, I think you're behind the curve. Um, and I think, uh, as, I think different organizations will normalize in different places. And part of that will depend on um, the organizational culture, part of that will depend on the roles that are involved. So I don't think there'll necessarily be a one size fits all approach for um, every business. But um, I think the big takeaway is previously leaders wanted their teams around them in person because their previous leadership styles were such that they felt like that's what they needed to do to make their teams effective. And that meant being able to see whether people were working, 
spontaneous conversations in the hallway. That's a, a certain model of leadership. But there's a future model of leadership that actually encourages leaders to really understand the why behind you know, bringing people together. And then secondly, to recognize that when you bring people together, it can be exclusionary and can create challenges around allowing people to integrate work into their lives. I mean, if you can unlock the potential of working mothers that maybe can't come into the office every day, but are super productive, right? And um, huge contributors to the business is just one example. That can totally change your talent pipeline. If you can tap into talent from different geographies that maybe you haven't recruited in the past because there was this requirement that people come into the office, that changes your talent pipeline. So I think organizations are understanding the trade-offs and are recognizing that the ability to broaden out talent pipelines, be more inclusive in your model, um, outweighs uh, maybe some of the previous thoughts around the need to be in the office. And you can train leaders on how to manage teams effectively in a hybrid environment if you make the investment. You know, one of the questions I've started to ask CEOs that I interact with as they talk about expanding their diversity programs, but also thinking about the future of work is, can you be sure, can you reassure me that the Latina mom who's got two kids, who's dialing into the meetings with her fuzzy slippers on, but is being excellent in every other way and above and beyond is on a leadership track? Could, could Is the next CEO a woman with fuzzy slippers right now? And can you can you reassure me that this is possible? And when you frame it like that personally, people aren't quite so sure. So you mentioned making some investments in leadership training, and I think that's a big piece of it. What are some of the other elements that senior leaders need to think about to make sure that the talent that they need that's hidden out now in the ether is able to grow? Yeah, so I'll, um, I'll sort of start with development and then I'll move a little more broadly. So um, when you think about true um, equitable leadership development. Part of it, a lot of times there's a focus on the training itself, but you've got to focus on the things around the training um, in order to really understand whether you're going to drive equitable outcomes. So we have a concept that we've pioneered called development equity. And this is about providing equitable access to career enhancing leadership development opportunities to underrepresented uh, groups. And what we find is that the first piece of that puzzle is not the actual training at all. It's the data. You know, are you collecting the right data and benchmarking to understand how you're currently distributing leadership development opportunity to whom and how and to what effect? Uh, and I sort of analogize this to pay equity. Uh, you've seen uh, there's still a lot of progress to be made, but you've seen a lot of progress on the gender pay gap because it's now something that companies measure and hold themselves accountable to. So that's the first piece. The second piece is what processes, once you have that data, then it's auditing your processes to understand how leadership development is distributed. And I would say the biggest change as leadership development moves online is that the L&D function no longer needs to think of itself as a metering function that limits access to finite resource. It can now think about itself as a function that actually distributes from abundant, a perspective of abundance, because everyone can have access to leadership development. And then how do you support those leaders through that? And that's really important, Stephen. One of the things you're, you're, you're very diplomatically not talking about is how broken the model that existed before you got on the scene was. That's what creates such an opportunity for you. I mean, I did a six-week senior executive program at the Stanford Business School. It was wonderful. But boy, was it expensive. I can't even imagine what it costs today. I'll bet it's uh, close to $100,000 or maybe even more. Uh, and, and as a result, you, you just 
can't send everybody. You have to be very uh, choosy about who you send. So the potential for you to disrupt that market, uh, I would think, is is pretty huge. That's right. You know, you work with an organization like Exec Online. We've got the very best programming across the top business schools in the world at your fingertips. And so you can really think about providing that to everyone and changing the focus of L&D to two key things. One is to better is to spend time better understanding the needs of the business so that you can communicate that back to town. So you can sort of say to Ellen's earlier point, if you're in the fuzzy slippers at home, this is how you can progress your career in the organization, given what the business needs from you. And that's context that's often missing. And then the second piece is what we call learner support. So as leaders are moving through these different leadership development programs or just professional challenges outside of development programs that they need to navigate, imagine an L&D function that's spending its time providing coaching and feedback to those leaders and helping them understand, right, sort of how to navigate anything from wellness challenges to, you know, real professional challenges to challenges with their kids and family. That becomes a, a next generation L&D function that we think is going to be critical, a critical differentiator for organizations that get it right. Stephen, it also strikes me as you're talking that this is going to require a new kind of CEO, not the person who feels better having everybody in the office so they can see that they're working or they can grab them if they have a question, but who actually trusts the organism that they're developing to function as designed. And I think that's a very interesting piece of this. That's right. And, you know, what um, what a lot of leaders will say is, you know, it's impossible to lead people if I don't know what they're doing at any given time. And it's impossible to keep them engaged and it's impossible for them to innovate. And what I, I would reframe that, I would say, given the way you currently lead, it might be impossible. But if you think about the future of leadership and where it's heading, it's very possible. And we have a year and a half of data to suggest right, that the future of work represents different and kind leadership capabilities that engage people in different and kind ways to drive what I will argue will end up being better outcomes than we had in this old model that was exclusionary, that was inefficient uh, because it focused on everyone having to be around the leader um, and ultimately um, might feel comfortable, but not necessarily um, going to get you where you need to go. This is such an important topic, and I'm not sure all CEOs yet recognize how important it is. I, I just finished reading a book called uh, Spark by Vivek uh, Sharma, where he basically said this is going to be the superpower of organizations in the future, that if in a world where your uh, enterprise value is determined primarily by how well you develop human capital, it's much less about uh, factory equipment, oil in the ground, et cetera, much more about people that developing a culture that really allows what you're talking about to happen on a regular basis and on a broad basis is going to be the key to business success. Stephen, thank you uh, uh, so much for taking the time to be with us today. That was a fascinating conversation. This is one of the critical things that companies are going to have to wrestle with over the course of the next few years, and uh, you clearly are way ahead of the game. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you, Ellen. It's always a pleasure uh, to get together with both of you um, and hopefully look forward to seeing you um, uh, soon at, at your upcoming uh, Fortune Conference. Leadership Next is edited by Devin Hance, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. 
Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 